Well, hi, and welcome to New Life Dresher's virtual service. My name is Anthony Gamage. Uh, I'm the lead pastor here, and we exist as a church to know Jesus and to make him known. If you are new or you want to be contacted once we start back up uh, with regards to in-person meeting, please text CONNECT to the number at the bottom of your screen, and we'd be happy to reach out to you there. Uh, also, uh, there's a lot of announcements that are going to be coming at us here in the coming week, and so let me also encourage you to keep your eye on your email. And in particular, for Gmail users, we've noticed that they've uh, begun to move some of our emails to either junk or promotion, so you can just drag it into your primary inbox, and it should remember that setting. We're also going to be, at, so Tommy and uh, some of the worship teams have been working on uh, a lament service for us to be able to watch. Um, it, it'll be post it online so we can watch it as our leisure, but but really to give us an opportunity to enter into the lament and sorrow of this season of uh, really racial injustice uh, that, that really has been brought to the fore uh, here recently. And so just keep your eyes uh, on the communications for that. Well, as we jump into the sermon here today, we're going to be looking at 2 Corinthians chapter 1, uh, really uh, verse 15, and then on through chapter 2, verse 13. And I'm just going to jump right in here this morning. But before I do, can I just pray for us as we get going this morning? Lord, uh, I come before you heavier than usual this week as I begin this sermon, recognizing that uh, we are living in uh, a moment where there is a crescendo of grief, uh, Lord, of an awareness of injustices that uh, we know have been around for uh, really centuries in particular uh, as it as it pertains to the black community. And Lord, there is much grief and sorrow. Lord, there is anger. Uh, and Father, I just pray right now uh, for my black brothers and sisters in particular that you will be to them uh, the God of all comfort and the Father of mercies as they walk through this season. And Lord, for um, Lord the, those of us who, um, like myself, uh, are not black, but Lord, uh, find ourselves brothers and sisters in Christ, uh, Lord, or fellow humans uh, who have been called to uh, do justice, to love mercy, and to walk humbly before you. Lord, I pray that you will give the body of Christ in particular uh, special clarity, understanding, ability to listen, patience right now as we walk through this challenging season. Lord, for the many uh, others of us who this week for a whole variety of reasons are experiencing despair or anger or frustration or loneliness, Lord, would you be with and comfort them? And Father, uh, even as I say some of the words in my prayer, I am so much more keenly aware of them uh, than I've ever been. And so Holy Spirit, I pray that you will just guide and direct my words. Uh, Lord, help them to be words that point people to you and the gospel. Uh, that bring hope and comfort. And Lord, if there is an offense uh, to be stated out of my mouth, I pray that it is the cross and the cross alone. So we love you, Father. Be with us, we pray in your name. Amen. Well, this morning, uh, simply put, so we've been walking through the book of 2 Corinthians, and, and today we, or last week, I opened up talking about how this book is really about the cross-shaped life. God using the paradoxes of life, things that don't seem to be like they should be true or self-contradictory that prove themselves to be true. Crazy thoughts like we gain strength through weakness or uh, riches through poverty. Uh, and so this morning we're going to continue to lean into that. Uh, and really the thrust of what we're going to be talking about is the cross-shaped life being one that remembers redemption and that humbles ourselves to forgive. One that remembers redemption and humbles ourselves to forgive. And so first, let's look at this idea of the cross-shaped life being one that remembers 
redemption. 2 Corinthians 1, uh, 15 and following. Pick up with me uh, as I read here. It says this. Paul writes, Because I was sure of this, I wanted to come to you first so that you might have a second experience of grace. I wanted to visit you on my way to Macedonia and to come back to you from Macedonia and to have you send me on my way to Judea. Was I vacillating when I wanted to do this? Do I make my plans according to the flesh, ready to say yes, yes, and no, no at the same time? Well, as surely as God is faithful, our word to you has not been yes and no. All right, so let's dig in here. So I, I'm, I'm renaming the bullet points that you probably have in your bulletin. I'm sorry, it said inconsistent. I'm going to change that to swaying. So uh, the cross-shaped life is one that remembers redemption when there is swaying, Okay. Uh, and so let's talk about what I mean by that. So as we jumped in, what we saw was a whole host of things. So Paul's saying, hey, I I, um, uh, I basically wanted to come to you, right? Uh, now, what that second experience of grace in verse 15 is, we're not quite sure. There's some debate. Either it's taking up another offering uh, to be a blessing to those who give, or it's uh, Paul coming to them and them experiencing the same sorts of uh, blessings that they had when they were, they were together the first time. But the bottom line is, as Paul was saying, uh, I wanted to come to you. I wanted to come to you. That, that's the bottom line of what he's getting at here. But you know, something happened. Verse 16 and 17, we'll read through and, and he's asking these questions like, was I vacillating? Okay, so vacillating is a term that essentially means swaying unsteadily. So you got to remember a little bit of the history. Paul planted this church. He left this church. He got a bad report about this church, about some crazy stuff happening. He wrote a letter to confront this church. We find in 2.1 that they didn't respond to the letter, so they had to go visit. He had to go visit, and it was a rough visit. And he left, and it appears that um, it didn't quite work that time either. So he wrote another stronger letter that has since been lost, right? Uh, it's called the Sorrowful Letter. It's referenced in 2 Corinthians chapter 7. We'll get to that uh, when we when we uh, get to chapter seven, but but obviously there's just this back and forth. But then something happened in uh, that second letter. After that second letter, where uh, things started to straighten up, reform started happening. There was repentance, and there was faith, and and there was some church discipline for some people. Uh, and basically, at this point, somehow along the way, the Corinthians had received word that Paul wanted to come, but he hadn't yet. He probably had a couple of follow-up letters saying, oh, I can't make it this week. Oh, I can't make it this week, right? And he just asked this hypothetical, hey, do you think I was like making these decisions in sin? Uh, I was swaying back and forth unsteadily. You know, the reality is, is Paul was in Ephesus about 250 miles away by sea. It was actually a relatively easy trip relative to the more dangerous route by land. And the chances are, is 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 the church in Corinth wanted to, be confirmed by Paul of his love for them. And they had some questions for their church planner, for their pastor, for their leader. And he was just kind of going back and forth. I'm going to come. Oh, I can't make it. Something happened. And so they're likely frustrated. Well, this week I felt like uh, I really identified with probably how the church in Corinth was feeling. I felt like I, I experienced the frustration of living in a swaying world where it just life seems to vacillate back and forth uh, one moment after the next. And if you've ever stood on a rocking boat, it just kind of felt like you could never quite get your balance, right? Do you feel that way right now? In a COVID world, 
We're red. We're going to go to yellow this week. Eh, it might be next week. Well, outside dining. Maybe not outside dining. Oh, well, COVID-19 can exist on this surface for this many days. Wipe down all, all your groceries. Never mind. It doesn't exist too long on those surfaces. Don't worry about your groceries. Never mind. You should probably wipe down your groceries again. Singing's dangerous. Singing's not dangerous. Presidents, governors, mayors, medical journals, doctors. It, it just seems like the information changes almost constantly, like a swaying back and forth on a boat, like we can never get our balance underneath us. We hear yes, yes, and no, no all over the place. What about as I wrestled through the race dynamic this week? That was so painful for me. As I sat here and I dealt with my emotions of frustration and anger and and lament and, and grief, Or you hear, hey, one of the best ways to engage is peaceful protests. Oh, no, they're turning into riots. Well, these people started the riots. No, that's fake news. (laughs) This week I wrestled, even with this sermon, say, how much do I say? Silence is violence, but then when when certain things are said, they're eviscerated in in social media. It, it, It has been swaying, to say the least. In the midst of my confusion and my feeling powerless in that whole discussion of race, I felt like the Holy Spirit just tapped me on the shoulder yesterday morning and said, hey, by the way, that's how your black brothers and sisters have felt for centuries. Hearing the message of life, liberty, and the pursuit of happiness, and then experiencing some of the systemic injustices that they felt, that they continue to feel. Hearing some of their leaders make promises and then swaying back and and demonstrating something totally different. They feel discomfort and and disorientation a thousand times more than I do. Friends, I tell you all this as simply a report, not as a commentary, but just saying life feels like it is swaying right now constantly. And it is so frustrating and disorienting. But in the midst of swaying, Paul gives us the solid here in 19 through 22. So follow back along with me here. It says this. He says, For the Son of God, Jesus Christ, whom we proclaimed among you, Silvanus and Timothy and I, was not yes and no, but in him it is always yes. For all the promises of God find their yes in him. That is why it is through him that we utter our amen to God for his glory. And it is God who establishes you in Christ and has anointed us and who has also put his seal on us and given us his spirit in our hearts as a guarantee. You know, Paul in the midst of of the swaying, even recognizing his own swaying. Now, by the way, Paul is very different than what we're walking through with COVID and the injustice. I would argue Paul was not living in sin. Rather, the Lord, for whatever reason, prevented him from coming. But nevertheless, for the church in Corinth, they felt like life was swaying. And Paul is saying, in the midst of the swaying, there is solid that you can go to. This is what he says. The first thing, did you hear it in 19 and 20? It says, in him, in Jesus, it is always yes. All the promises of God find their yes in him. So the first thing that is solid is that every promise God has ever made in all of Scripture all find their yes, their answer in the person of Jesus Christ. They find it in his perfect and sinless life, in his horrific and unjust and tragic death, in his resurrection 
in his ascension, in his rule at the right hand of the throne of God, in his future judgment, and in his one day establishing a tearless and perfectly just new heavens and new earth. The promise at the fall where he says, I'm going to begin my work of redemption in Genesis 3.15 happens in Jesus. When in Deuteronomy 18, he says, I'm going to send a better prophet than Moses, that's answered in Jesus. In 2 Samuel 7, when God promises to David, I'm going to give a king that sits on your throne forever, that happens in Jesus. In Isaiah 53, when he says, I'm going to send someone who's a suffering servant, who takes on the sins of his people, that happens in Jesus. In Deuteronomy chapter 32, that's quoted later in Romans 12, where God's people is facing great injustice, God says, vengeance is mine, I will repay declares the Lord, and that too will be fully fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. And that is our solid in a swaying world. In verse 21, he says, God who establishes us in Jesus. The next promise is he's saying, every single follower of Christ is fully established in Jesus The term established is a term that is used in a legal sense as a guarantee given that certain commitments will be carried out. When the object is a person, as it is in this situation, it's saying God will establish them to exhibit certain characteristics, right? He's saying, so I I promise to save you and to work out my fruit in you and no matter how, uh, uh, how, how swaying the world is, I am doing that. Even when everything is changing, nothing changes for those who follow Christ because he is working out that narrative of redemption, those promises in our individual lives as well as the world around us. And there's also a guarantee at the end that these things will ultimately come to pass even when it's hard to see. Did you see that? In verse 22, he put a seal on us and gave us the spirit in our hearts as a guarantee when we came to faith in Christ. He's saying God dripped the wax of his seal and closed our hearts and put his mark on us and said, he is mine, she is mine, and this letter will get to where it should go unopened and safe because of my seal. Now, friends, I don't know about you, but when the world sways, I tend to look at the still frame of life. Now, I'm sorry that I think in terms of Marvel movies, but, but I, think of, um, <laughs> I think of Infinity War, right? At the end of that, where Thanos snaps his finger and, and half the universe turns to ash and floats away, right? And I feel like in a swaying world, I tend to focus on that still image of the floating ash of half of the universe existence. What Paul is saying here is in a swaying world, we need to expand our view to look at God's great, solid, redemptive promises and the grander narrative that takes us all the way through the end game, right? Where all of those answers are finally fulfilled in the person of Jesus Christ. Can I give you some encouragement as to ways we can work this narrative the cross-shaped life that, that focuses on redemption into our hearts, the first thing I would say is when you wake up, start with Scripture and not your phone. Remind yourself of the story of redemption. And the other thing I would say is 
Fight hard, if it's virtually or in person, to get with one another, to remind one another, to encourage one another, as Hebrews 10 says, as the day draws near of Christ's return, to keep going. We cannot do this alone. You've got to be around other brothers and sisters in Christ in order to make it in a swaying world. I think we are pressed to make it happen or we will drown in our despair and in our anger. Their integrity, their hope, their reason for perseverance, the truthfulness of the gospel rests in the the consistency and the solid foundation of Jesus Christ. Here's a second bullet point. Is the cross-shaped life is a life that outwits the enemy. Pick back up with me in 2 Corinthians 2, chapter 5. It says this, Now if anyone has caused pain, he has caused it to me. But in some measure, not to put it too too severely to all of you. For such a one, this punishment by the majority is enough. So you should rather turn to forgive and comfort him, or he may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. So I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. For this is why I wrote, that I might test you and know whether you're obedient in everything. Anyone whom you forgive, I also forgive. Indeed, what I have forgiven if I have forgiven anything, has been for your sake in the presence of Christ, so that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. All right, so I'm going to mess with you again. I'm rearranging the bullet points. Three bullet points is basically looking at the enemy of forgiveness, the goal of forgiveness, and the community of forgiveness. So the the cross-shaped life that outwits the enemy is one that sees the enemy of forgiveness, the goal of forgiveness, and the community of forgiveness. The first is the enemy of forgiveness. We saw that in verse 11, didn't we? So that we would not be outwitted by Satan, for we are not ignorant of his designs. April 30th, 1943, the body of Major William Martin washed up on a beach in Spain. A fisherman spotted the body uh, and notified the authorities. The authorities came over and examined the body, and the authorities happened to be Nazi sympathizers. And when they searched the pockets to see the identification of this soldier, uh, they discovered a letter from a lieutenant general to Major Martin that suddenly alluded to an allied invasion of Greece. Now, they were suspicious of a body washing up on the shore, uh, and they wanted to legitimize this letter's authenticity. And so they called in the coroner to see how this um, this soldier died, if this was a legitimate soldier. Uh, they called in a document expert to say, hey, is this document real? But something happened in the midst of that that automatically uh, legitimized the authenticity of this letter. As they began to watch the Allied forces, they saw that they were uh, basically moving them for an invasion in Greece. So they began to pull their troops away, right? The, 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 the non-allied forces began to pull their troops away from places like Sicily to uh, reinforce uh, the beaches in Greece. And you know what? That's exactly what the allies wanted them to do. You see, here's the deal. They were a part of a huge web of disinformation called Operation Mincemeat. The goal was to outwit the enemy. The troops that they saw moving were fake troops. The tanks that they saw moving were these inflatable plastic tanks. They weren't real. They wanted, uh, they wanted the enemy to move their troops away from Sicily because Sicily is exactly where they wanted to attack. One historian calls it the most spectacular single episode in the history of deception. Here's the first thing we see. 
here in Corinth is that Corinth was facing Operation Mincemeat. Satan wanted to sabotage them. And what Paul is telling them is there is an enemy who wants to outwit you through sowing unforgiveness and bitterness. And so how does the cross-shaped life outwit the enemy in this text? Well, the first thing we see is we see uh, an understanding of the goal of forgiveness. Now, let's talk about this idea of forgiveness first. And let me give you a resource because this is a huge topic to talk about. But uh, a paper written by Tim Keller called Serving Each Other Through Forgiveness and Reconciliation uh, is a great little resource. But he gives a definition of forgiveness, lest we take it for granted what we mean. He says, forgiveness means giving up the right to seek repayment from the one who has harmed you. So basically, uh, the, the other thing he goes on to say, though, it must be recognized that forgiveness is a form of voluntary suffering. Now, can I just put a parenthetical statement, a, a kind of an asterisk in here, and say, uh, this is, I'm speaking in general terms, I'm not, I'm not trying to talk about how do we uh, find total forgiveness and reconciliation between uh, entire races, right, or total institutions, uh, things of that nature. I'm not talking about extreme situations of abuse, but I'm just talking about some of the brass tacks meanings of, of what Scripture talks about forgiveness to mean. So can I, can I do that and just ask you to be gracious with not hearing what I'm not saying. But let me keep going. Uh, Jesus in Matthew 18 uh, tends to talk about forgiveness in the terms of debts. In fact, he often talks about it in the terms of monetary debts. Tim Keller gives this example of what forgiveness is. He says, assume or, or imagine a friend breaks your lamp. $50 lamp, throws a ball, breaks it, right? All of a the sudden, there is a debt. There's a $50 debt, right? That $50 debt either has to be taken on by the person who broke the lamp, they give you $50 to buy a new lamp, or the other person forgives that debt and has to either pay $50 himself to get a new lamp or live without a lit room, right? To forgive, you can see monetarily in this, uh, equals loss, right? There is a monetary loss that happens. Someone always has to pay when there is a debt. Now, usually when we're talking about forgiveness, there is some form of emotional or relational debt, and, and we can make people, people pay in those senses too, right? We can hurt them, we can yell at them, we can gossip about them and harm their reputation. Uh, we can, in our own hearts, just hope they get theirs, right? Karma is going to come around and get them, right? Friends, here's the reality, is that forgiveness always involves suffering. And in a way, that's why suffering actually helps us identify with the person and work of Jesus Christ. You see, there was a debt that needed to be paid for our sin and rebellion against him. And he took that suffering and paid that debt in our place. So the reason I say all this is because there is a person in view that actually needs to be forgiven. He says in verse 5, If anyone has caused pain, he has caused it not to me, but in some measure not to put it too severely to all of you. There is a person in the church in Corinth who has caused great pain and great suffering. Now, there's debate as to who this guy is. Was it uh, the person who was disciplined in chapter 5 of 1 Corinthians? Uh, uh, my uh, assessment of the situation is probably not because that was a certain type of church discipline case. This person seems to have harmed Paul directly. So chances are this is some super apostle who uh, really went after Paul and his name and injured or hurt him or his reputation. But, but nevertheless, it caused the church great anguish. 
when you see the term punishment used here, uh, this isn't just like some, you know, lashing out in anger. It's the only time this term is used in the New Testament, and it's used to basically depict legal penalties and commercial sanctions. And so basically the church had sanctioned this person because their sin was so severe and they were so unrepentant. It caused them a lot of heartache, but the reality is, is this person, what's assumed is they were repentant, they were sorrowful for what they did, and they had turned away from that harm to Paul and tried to turn back to the person and work of Jesus Christ. And what Paul needed to do now is take them to the next stages of reconciliation and forgiveness. You see, you see some interesting words here in verse 5. Or in verse 7, it says, You should rather turn and forgive and comfort him, or they may be overwhelmed by excessive sorrow. Here is a person who has been returned to kind of the membership of the church, but hasn't been forgiven by the people, and he is getting ready to be overwhelmed with sorrow. This term overwhelmed is the picture of an animal devouring its prey or a wave overwhelming a person on the sea. And what Paul is saying is, is he's afraid that the person, uh, if not comforted, will drown in their sorrow. You see, this is what unforgiveness does. For the person who is unwilling to forgive, it yields bitterness, spiritual tyranny. But the person who is not forgiven, they can be swallowed in their sorrow and pain. Verse 8 gives us a picture of how Paul wants them to interact with them. He says, I beg you to reaffirm your love for him. This is a person who really harmed him. He's saying, no, I want you to reaffirm your love for him. That term reaffirm means to re-ratify a covenant, to, to re-covenant with this person. You see, here's the reality. The goal of forgiveness isn't just, oh yeah, I forgive you. Have a good day. It's forgiveness and restoration. Now again, there is a nuance that is needed in extreme cases, and, and, and restoring trust is a total different conversation in the midst of this. But the goal is the rebuilding of that relationship. And friends, in this day and age, looking at what we're looking at as a church, isn't this critical? Doesn't this set the Christian church apart that forgiveness and restoration is a part of the ministry of the church that we are called to pursue? How different is that? from our culture right now. Here's the second way we outwit the enemy is, is looking at the community of forgiveness. Verse 5 and verse 10, verse 5, he says, you know, he, he sinned against me, but it was to all of you. Yeah, this guy hurt me, but, but it impacted you. In verse 10, Paul says he forgave in part for their own sake. He needed to forgive him because he knew if he didn't, it would impact the whole rest of the church. We don't suffer independent of one another within the body of Christ. In fact, the scripture all over the place, we talked about this in January. Remember January in the political series? We are a family. Paul said this before to the church in Corinth, 1 Corinthians 12, verse 12 and then 26 and 27. He says, just as the body is one and has many members and all the members of one body, though, uh, though many are one body, so it is with Christ. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one member is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individually members of it. Friends, this, this whole Christian thing, this church thing, it is not an independent thing. It's family. 
when the family suffers, we all suffer. When a, when a child suffers, the parents suffer. When a parent suffers, the children suffer, right? And that's true in the body of Christ. You know, Paul has this sense that Corinth believed in this, hey, welcome to New Life Corinth, where it's every man, woman, and child for themselves. And Corinth would be like, yeah, 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 look, we were, we were doing this for the right reasons, man. He was messing with you. And Paul's saying, now that don't, don't overshadow a lack of forgiveness with nobility because that's exactly how the enemy gets us. Friends, it is good for us right now. Some people have asked, okay, so why are we entering in? Uh, like some of the racial tension doesn't quite hit us as a church as, as greatly as it does some other churches because of our demographics and what have you. And it's because of this. We enter into other brothers and sisters in Christ's pain because they're family. We're doing a lament service and putting it out as a resource because we want to enter into some of the pain that our brothers and sisters in Christ, who we don't fully understand their experience, are still experiencing. We want to pray with them. We want to maybe repent. We want to, uh, we, we want to listen. We want to act. It's good to understand that a part of not allowing the enemy to get a foothold is to suffer with our family members as they suffer. Here's the other thing that I, I want you to hear that's an application from this, is that Satan wants us to forget we're family. Satan wants us to forget that we're family, and I think he's doing a really good job right now. Before the pandemic, it was politics. During the pandemic, it's become these crazy camps of masks and non-masks. Now, I guarantee you, this, this all, all, all that's happening around ethnicity and race right now, camps are going to come out of that because the devil is at work. Friends, we have picked up the letters from Major William Markets, Martin's pockets and read them and imbibed them and believed them, and, and, and the enemy is getting an upper hand. It's being confirmed in places like news, social media. We need to be wary of what's happening right now. We're paying attention to the plastic tanks that are on the move and we're saying, yo, 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 I've got to protect my point of view. The family is being divided within the body of Christ among lines like conservative and liberal and mask wearers and non-mask wearers and vaxxers and white and Asian and black. And the enemy is on the beachhead in Sicily. And I think the church right now, more than we need to fight and debate, needs to repent. Humility is not our default right now even though that is the default of our leader, Jesus Christ. Friends, I pray that all of us, myself included, right now, will not allow the enemy to get an upper hand by remembering that forgiveness is a community affair. How we respond when we are sinned against shows us what our view of the gospel really is. When we're sinned against, if all we can do is live for a pound of flesh, making people look bad on Facebook, social media, however we want to do it, we don't understand the gospel. 
If we are bitter, it shows a lack of forgiveness. It turns us into spiritual tyrants who demand atonement, but realize that is total opposite of what the cross of Jesus Christ does. Jesus Christ did not atone for our sins on the cross and say, you need to keep atoning. No. He showered us with his mercy. We deserve death. He gave us life. Friends, I pray that in this season, Ephesians 4 uh, becomes part of our, our mantra day in and day out where it says, be kind one to another, uh, tender-hearted, forgiving one another, just as God in Christ Jesus has forgiven us. That's the only way we navigate this season. That's the only reason we are the only way we are not outwitted by the enemy who is remarkably active. Friends, the cross-shaped life is a life that remembers the story of redemption, but that outwits the enemy through a forgiveness that brings restoration and then is done with community in view. May he give us the grace to do that. Let me close this in prayer. Lord, we need you. We need you. We need you to give us a humility that we don't have. We need you to give us wisdom that we can't muster on our own. Will you make all of us slow to speak and quick to listen? Will you help us to see the cross of Jesus Christ, to believe that story of redemption is ours? And Lord, to to look at your suffering through the forgiveness that you brought and enable us to suffer when we are wrong and forgive while restoration is happening. Lord, it seems impossible, but all things are possible through you. So we beg you to bring that upon our world today. We love you. In your name, amen.